Good morning, everyone. My name is Steph Spencer, and I'm on staff with The Table that meets on Sunday nights, and I'm excited to be with you here this morning. And as that video kind of hinted at, um, I'm going to start this morning with a question. So another thing that might be hard for the introverts in the room, because I would like you to talk to each other. So hopefully you've had enough coffee at this point that feels like a comfortable thing to do. Um, But what I'd like you to do is either talk to a person you came with, someone in your aisle. If you feel like you need to stretch your feet, go ahead and walk someplace else in the room. But I'd love for you to talk about what your favorite story is. It can be a book or a movie, just favorite story, and who the hero of that story is. So go ahead, uh, find someone, and talk to them about your favorite story. Switch and give the other person a chance to talk if they haven't talked yet. One more minute or so. All right, now here's the part that might require a little bit of courage. I hope there's some people in the room because I who would be able to do this with me. I know it's a big room, but I would love to hear what some of you said, what your favorite story is and who the hero of that is, and shout it out in this big room. Anyone willing to kick us off? Go ahead. You are special, and who is the hero of You Are Special? The woodmaker, Eli, the woodcarver, and You Are Special. I love those books. I've read them to my kids. If you haven't read them to your kids, great series of books. Another favorite story. Go ahead and shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. To kill a mockingbird, and who is the hero in To Kill a Mockingbird? What is it? Atticus Finch is the hero to kill a mockingbird. One more story, let's see. Heaven is for real, and who is the hero of Heaven is for real? Jesus, is that what I heard? All right, that's a good one. No one can top that one, so we should stop there, right? So what I picked as my favorite story, or one of my favorites at least, is The Lord of the Rings. And I, I'm going to start with a confession on this one. I have never read them. I have only seen the movie. I, like, like, feel free to boo me on that. That's like tragic that I've only seen the movie and not read the books. But I love the story of Lord of the Rings. I love all the complicated things going on with Middle Earth and battles against good and evil. And I love the character and the hero of Frodo, who is such an unlikely hero to be the one to carry the ring into Mordor. And so today's Bible story from Kings in this Hidden Gem series has another unlikely hero in it. And his name is Josiah. And we're going to pick up his story in 2 Kings chapter 22. If you'd like to follow along, there's Bibles in your pews. Otherwise, it will also be up on the screen. So we're going to start by reading verses 1 and 2 of 2 Kings 22. 
Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah, and she was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. You can see on the king's timeline that's going to come up uh, behind me that Josiah was one of the last kings of Judah. He reigned from 640 to 609 BC, and during his reign, the power in their region shifted from the Assyrians to the Babylonians. And it was the Babylonians who were going to come just 12 years after Josiah's reign ends and are going to be the ones to take over Jerusalem. So he's kind of right at the end of the kingdom of Judah. And the main reason that Josiah was an unlikely hero isn't the fact that he took the throne at the age of eight, but it's the environment he grew up in and who he turned out to be in spite of that. Because before Josiah reigned, his father reigned, he only reigned for two years before he was usurped. But the main king that came before him was his grandfather, Manasseh. And Manasseh was a terrible, terrible, terrible king. He instituted idol worship all over the land of Judah, including in the temple of the Lord. And it wasn't just carved images that they bowed down to. This was idols that required barbaric practices like child sacrifice. Manasseh instituted things like that all over the land of Judah. And he reigned for 55 years. And in spite of that, somehow Josiah, when that was what Judah was like, he rose up to actually know the Lord. And when he was age 20, he started instituting great reforms in the land. He tore down all of those idols around the country. And then when he was age 26, he started a great repair to the temple of the Lord. And at that point, when the repairs were being done, Hilkiah, the high priest in the temple, found the book of the law, which had been lost for all of those years under the reigns of this terrible king, Manasseh. And we're going to pick the story back up in verse 11, when Josiah hears the book of the law for the first time to see how he responds. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes, and he gave these orders to Hilkiah the high priest, Ahikam. Okay, I'm going to pause. If you guys are ever reading the Bible and struggle over Hebrew names, I just want you to know that you are not alone because I'm about to slaughter the pronunciation of a whole string of names. And I'm just going to ask you to roll with that with me because my tongue just cannot do it. And we're going to just stumble together. No, you're not alone if that happens to you. Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Saphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Josiah's response in this moment is go and inquire of the Lord, which is a significant response because he is king. He could have done anything he wanted in this moment, but he knows what his role as king is. The way that Israel was meant to work is it was the king's job to govern the people. But it was a prophet's job to speak the words of the Lord. And when he heard the words of this book of the law and needed to know what to do about it, he knew that what Israel needed in this moment was the words of a prophet who could tell them the words of the Lord. The question is what prophet they would go to. Because during the reign of Josiah, there were several prophets whose names we might realize or recognize 
because they're in our Bible. Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, they each have chapters in here. They were alive during this time. But that's not who they go to. If we go back to 2 Kings 22, verse 14, we'll see who they sought at this point in Judah's history. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Siphon, and Asiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. Now, as I talked to people about uh, the message I was going to give today, Almost everyone I ran across had heard the name of Josiah before, even people who aren't really familiar with the Bible. And I didn't run into a single person who had heard the name Hulda. In fact, sometimes it caused confusion, like when my husband asked me, you mean like a Hulda hoop? And uh, he showed with that comment that our kids are, he, he and I have kids that are getting older, and I think he is firmly comfortable in that corny dad joke territory, because that's a pretty bad one, and I think we're going to safely be able to keep embarrassing our kids for years and years to come. But Hulda's not a hula hoop. <laughs> She's a person who at this time gave a courageous word of the Lord. She confirmed the message that Jeremiah had been speaking, that the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians was, in fact, coming. And she also revealed that it would not come during, Jeremiah, uh, during Josiah's lifetime because of the way that he responded in this moment when the book of the law was found. After hearing Hulda's message, Josiah goes on in 2 Kings 23 to institute one of the greatest reforms in Judah's history. And that would be a great place to sit in our message for the rest of the today. But that's not where we're going to sit. Because in a story, in a series called Hidden Gems, I think we should focus not on Josiah, but on Hulda, and why it is that we don't know her name, and what it might reveal to us about the way that we approach the scriptures. See, in our culture, I think that we tend to hold independence as one of our highest values. We love watching Bear Gryllis live out in the wilderness eating things that no human being should eat because he can survive on his own out there by himself. We love Superman sweeping in to save the day. We love the Lone Ranger. We love putting stars like American Idols up on the stage. And when we read the Bible, we tend to bring that independent hero narrative into the way we see it. We see Noah and Moses and Peter and Paul. We see all these heroes. And that's not all bad, actually. It's great to look at heroes and say, what are things that I can emulate about them? Or to say, wow, this is showing us the best that humanity has to offer. It is amazing that we can do things like this. And in the case of Josiah, he actually is a hero worth emulating. He grew up against all odds to follow God. He had the courage to do the right thing and the leadership to bring his people back to the Lord. The problem isn't that we shouldn't look up to Josiah as a hero. The problem is that when we do that to this and other texts, we tend to let that independent hero narrative have too much sway and we miss the deeper story that is going on. And I think we see this to be true in our stories that we mentioned in the beginning. Think back to what your favorite story is when we talked about our heroes. And think about what would be missed if we only saw that story through the lens of one hero. In my example, if you guys are Lord of the Rings fans in the room, you might have been uh, had a little bristliness when I only mentioned Frodo. Because we know that the story is about much more than Frodo in Lord of the Rings. 
It's about the people of Middle-earth and the danger that they are facing and the fellowship of the ring, all of these people working together, each with roles to play in order to save it. And we miss all that if we only look at Frodo. And I want to look at what we miss in today's story if we only see Josiah. And I think most importantly what we might miss is we might miss the story of God and his people. If we look back in uh, verse 11 when Josiah tears his clothes, I don't think that's because he was feeling bad about himself. I think it's because he had great mourning for the people of God who had been living this life of idol worship, thinking that their lives were at the, their fates were under the power of these gods who didn't really care about them. That there might be a God who was so vengeful and wrathful that he might require child sacrifice in order to appease himself. And Josiah is mourning that the people have been so led astray. And he would hear in the book of the law not just what the Lord required, but who the Lord was, his great commitment to them, his love for them, and that the type of laws he had for them were laws like loving their neighbor and honoring him in worship. He was mourning and hoping that it wasn't too late for them to be redeemed. And if we see this story as just about Josiah, we might also miss the other people in it. Josiah was not independent. He was interdependent. Without Hilkiah, the high priest, the book of the law might never have been found. Without these servants who were part of bringing things back and forth, the messages might not have been portrayed. Without Huldah, we wouldn't have heard the word of the Lord for this moment in their history. Second Kings is about much more than Josiah in this story. It's about God and his love for his people who had gotten lost and the way that he was rising up a group of leaders to bring them back to him. And I wonder how many other places in the scriptures that we might do this, that we might let our hero narrative get too strong and miss so much more of the story. And one of the places that comes to mind for me is Moses. I love, personally, I love the story of Moses. And um, Apparently the writers of this children's Bible also love Moses and think he was a bodybuilder because that is some ripped muscles on Moses right there as he splits the Red Sea. And Moses is a great man who did wonderful things. But from the beginning of his story, we see that his story is not about him. When God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, he doesn't say, Moses, you are so great that I want to have this great plan for your future. He says, I have heard the crying of my people, and I want to rescue them. That is what he says to Moses. And Moses wouldn't even reach that point in his life without his mother, who saved him from Pharaoh when Pharaoh was having all the baby boys killed. His sister, who followed his basket down the Nile River as it floated. Pharaoh's daughter, who pulled him out of the river and gave him his name. There are all these people from the beginning of his life that he is dependent upon in order to play this role in God's history. And in the New Testament, I think that we do this with Paul a lot. And again, Paul is a great man. He did so many great things. He started churches. He wrote great books. But Paul himself seems to know that his story is not about him. In his letters that he writes to churches, he doesn't write about himself. He writes about Jesus and his love and grace for all people. 
And he includes in his letters these chapters and sections that we tend to skip because we're not quite sure how they apply, where he is thinking the other people involved in the early church. Like in Romans 16, when he takes this whole chapter to talk about the people who are starting the early churches with him. Like Phoebe, one of his benefactors and an overseer of the church. Priscilla and Aquila, who are leading a church and teaching the people. Like Junia, who is outstanding among the apostles. And I intentionally chose women that he mentions in that chapter because I think one of the problems that happens with this great independent hero view is that women are some of the people we miss in the Bible. Women like Moses' mother and sister, women like Hulda, women like Phoebe, who played essential, important roles in bringing the kingdom of God and his love to this earth. And I think the problem is this doesn't just end with Scripture and how we view the Bible. I think this becomes a part of how we view the world, that we think that the people who do the big things for God are the ones who are most important. And we start to wonder what our place is or what our neighbor's place is in the story. And we forget the type of language that Jesus used about loving our neighbors and going lower and doing simple things and the difference that that can make in the world. When I was 10, I went on a road trip to Yellowstone National Park. Who in this room has been to Yellowstone? I feel like a good number of people. It's a beautiful park, beautiful waterfalls, old faithful. There's so many great things about this park. And so ecologists have been trying to make sure that this park is preserved for years to come and been working at what that looks like to kind of preserve the landscape. And they discovered something surprising in recent years about what they need to focus on in order to make that happen. Let's take a look at this video. One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, that the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. 
the number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes. And as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. Here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. I love that video. (laughs) I love thinking about the fact that the presence of a few wolves changed the path of a river. I think that's a great picture of what the New Testament talks about with the body of Christ. There is no one part of us that is more important than the other because each of us can and should play an essential role in spreading God's love. And I wonder how often we miss that. I wonder how often we miss the wolves around us. Maybe for some of us, we miss ourselves. We miss what we are doing and how Jesus is calling us into living out our faith and spreading his love through the way that we just need to love our neighbors, the way that we need to go into neighborhoods and make a difference, the way that we need to enter into our kids' schools. Maybe we think that what it needs to be is something big like moving to another country. And we forget the difference of these small, everyday acts of love. Or maybe we forget that same thing about those around us. And we start to look up to some of the heroes in our world so much that we miss what other people are doing in the simple ways that they are sharing love and grace and the way that it is rippling out to make a difference. This happened in my own life, and last week I realized some people that I was missing, some wolves for me, because I was emailing with Dee, who's new on our mission staff here, and we were emailing back and forth about Ferguson, and wanting me, I wanted to share some articles about Ferguson, and I was wondering what people had read that were impactful to them about what is going on there. And I listed several that were impactful to me, and she noticed a pattern in the articles that I had listed. She noticed that every single one was written by 
an expert, a hero in their field of justice, names that people know who have gone and done big things. And she wondered if those were the only articles I shared, whether I might give the wrong impression of who had the voice for what's going on here, that I might continue the idea that those voices are the only voices valid when addressing hard issues, and that I might myself be forgetting and causing other people to forget the importance of the narratives coming from everyday people living this out in their everyday lives. And I think all of us have people who have played a role like this in our lives that we need to remember. And we are playing this role in other people's lives where we are loving and giving grace and all of those things and making a bigger difference than we might ever think. There are no independent heroes in the story of God and the rest of us. The Bible, this world, is all about God and his love for all of his people and the way that all of us get to be a part of that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story of Josiah. I thank you for the wonderful, heroic things that he did, but I also thank you that the story was not just about him. It was about you and your love for the people of Judah and you and your love for the people of this whole world. That is about how you weave together Huldah and Hilkiah and so many others to bring your people back to you during that time. And I pray that you would help us remember that same thing today, that we would see those around us who are woven into our story, who are woven into the story of our church and in this world, who are doing things that we might miss that are actually essential for bringing your kingdom and your love to this earth. Thank you for the way you call each of us to play a part, and thank you for the way that you value and love us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.